Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where us horses beat a dead guy 1d6 damage at a time. Today, we're reviewing Iron Claw, an anthro-medieval RPG with a cartoony art style, but a seemingly pretty serious vibe. Will it be a mousing success, or all sound and furry? Let's find out on today's System Mastery. everybody, welcome to uh, System Mastery, the podcast where we read old role-playing games and then tell you all about them. I am, as always, your host Jeff, joined as always by the other host, equal in in name and me- measure, John. Yay, I'm an equal. I was trying to make that sound kind of like Game of thrones You know, I was going to maybe say that you were first of your name or whatever, but I actually don't know if that's true. <laughs> I mean, of my name? Definitely not. I have a common-ass name. No, I know. Your name is... Impo- like, you're one of those people who has to come up with goofy shit for your email addresses because you can't use your real name. Oh, yeah. I'll try 17 different variations on my name, and they're like, no, those are all taken. Yeah, but I don't know if you're, like, technically John Taylor the Fourth, and you've just never told me that before. I never know this shit. No, although the naming convention in my family is the firstborn son gets a J name for the first name. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm named after both my grandfathers. It's a coincidence, but that's just the way it ended up being. Well, there you go. There I go again on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I've oh, had yeah? a that's good nice, nice uh, relaxing Easter time. Uh, yeah, I meant to ask you about that, because we're recording this, uh, you know, inside baseball here, but we're recording this a day late, because John was was out of town for doing... Easter stuff, which don't worry, he's vaccinated, and so are his fa- so is his family. Yeah, uh, having you know at least five members of my family there because those are the ones who were vaccinated. Uh, it is the first actual gathering of people where we could you know sit around a table and be normal for a bit. And uh, yeah, it's just it was very pleasant and nice to have a little bit of normalcy. That sounds so good. I'm. I mean, we had a bit of the same. We did an outdoor party because that's the only way we can do anything. And by party, I mean there were four adults. Yeah, and two ch- two toddlers who ran around collecting eggs at just breakneck, like they were going to die if they didn't get them all speed. Well, yes, because obviously they would. <laughs> uh, but you know, and since Florence and I are both on extremely restrictive and extremely different diets. We also were just like, uh, why don't we just have drinks, everybody? It'll be drinks. <laughs> the drinks. So, the drinks are water. So you don't have to. No, I went to the liquor store and bought uh, the things I know that 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 uh, our, our show friends, Claire and Brian, because they're the people who were over, enjoy. And then it turned out they didn't want them. Lol. So now I've got like extra Coke and so on. So next time you come by, you're going to be drinking a bunch of soda. No, I won't. No, you will. You will. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you do. Funnel that shit down your gullet. Absolutely not. I ate peeps for you. <laughs> uh, well, good. I'm glad to hear you had a wonderful time. And also, I was excited that you and I finally got to try... I mean, I know you played it a few times, but I got to try your Stardew Valley board game. Yes, indeed. Super fun. 
Super, it's a good game. It's well built. Uh, I, I was not expecting it to have the sense of urgency that it has, because that's like the opposite of what I'm used to from, from Stardew. Oh, yeah. No, this is not just a, like, bucolic wander around the pastoral scenery and plant some crops thing. You're like, you got to make a plan and fucking carry through because you are on the clock. Plus, you abandon a bunch of shit. Like, there were all these building options that we had access to. In we didn't touch any of that because it was like, what does Grandpa want? Grandpa wants fish? There's no fish buildings. Get to fishing. Oh, yeah. The Depending on what you draw for Grandpa's requests is pretty much going to shape how you play that game. Yeah. I mean, we beat it on, like, with one day left in December. Oh, yeah. We got one turn left, which is... So far, every time I've won has been basically that. Huh. Yeah, I was because I spent most of the mid game being like, "Well, I'll just try and gather items and have a good time and shit." Because I, I didn't realize you play for a year. Oh yeah, you got a time limit, and if you don't get mm -hmm. it in the first year, you're done. Joja takes over. Yeah, but it was fun. It's a good game. And speaking of things that are surprisingly pretty good games, why don't we talk about this week's entry, Iron Claw? Oh, Iron Claw, we've been asked to do this uh, for a while because we've done several of the, you know, furry anthro RPGs before and, you know, basically all of the ones that are terrible. And everyone's like, look, if you want to read a decent one, try Iron Claw. It's the one furry RPG that isn't just a complete god awful mess. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I know there's another one out there uh, that is supposed that that when you Google like furry RPGs, it usually is the first one to come up. It's called like the World Tree or something, but it is notoriously hard to get your hands on. Like, not only is, was it a limited print run and super popular and collected, gathered up and kept by furry role players all over, but the the authors of it are extremely careful to scrub PDFs of it out of existence whenever they can. Huh. So I've, I've, I've spent a long time trying to find it. Not even sure if I have the name right. I think it is just called World Tree, but someday I will locate it. That's very interesting but, that the authors would be so anti-PDF and yet also have this scarcity of physical copies. Well, it's an older thing. It's from like 2001. Uh, so it could just be that they are... I mean, we have the same problem with uh, Vanishing Point, a game we reviewed a long, long, long time ago where it is an interesting game, very cool, uh, critically acclaimed, but due to a printing issue, only like 500 copies exist, and the guy who, who uh, wrote it just doesn't have any interest in moving forward with digitizing it now. Mm. So these things happen. Iron Claw, though, a uh, big deal game, plenty of publishing. I actually went to look for character sheets for it and found that it is also exceptionally well-supported. Uh, oh, like, yeah, this seems they, like the, the type of game that would have a lot of community support behind it. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a couple of, uh, I, I know there's four or five books that are connected to it uh, as well, but I mean, they went out of their, they go out of their way to try to make this a game that you would want to run in your store if you're an FLGS. They have printable posters you can do, they have like event structured guides they can print out for running living world type games in it. So th this is a co the company that made this, I think they're called Sanguine, uh, want this to be a, a living game that people play in stores and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, we are uh, looking at the second edition, I believe, of this game. Mm -hmm. Originally published in 2010, and that's the version of it that we have. 
And uh, and it's it's interesting. I mean, from the cover, I was going to guess a little bit more kind of anime inspiration just because it's got that. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead. And say, there's at least one character on the cover that's obviously Lena Inverse. And I feel like you can't if, if you're drawing furries and you're hiring furry artists, it's going to be really hard to not have someone try and slip a Slayer's reference through on you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I've i never even watched Slayers, and I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> no, me either. I've never watched Slayers, but I am so used to seeing knockoff Lena Inverses that at this point, I just, I spot, it's kind of like Lum. I've never watched a Lum car. I don't even know what her show was called, but every time I'm like, ah, leopard print, bikini, and a big, uh, a big boomerang, that's a Lum thing. That's some kind of Lum. <laughs> some kind of Lumderful. That's a Lum sum. Uh, so it is the, it, not an anime game though. It is very much more, I mean, the art style is very, uh, it's kind of American cartoon Looney Tune inspired, but everyone of course is prepared for full fantasy times because it is a very medieval game. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, I would say for a lot of the art in here, the biggest inspiration I would say depends on the artist, but there's a lot of like sometimes they're like, oh, we want to try and do like a very serious, here's like a medieval picture of like an armadillo man. And then sometimes you're like, oh, this came out of SWAT cats. Yeah, no, like the horse art in particular, the the same picture of the horse they use over and over throughout the book where he's like, he looks like he's an ally of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like he's just so muscly and so cartoonishly proportioned. It's like a caricature of Captain America if he was a horse. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, so you get this idea when you're looking at the art. They're like, oh, this is going to be a very cartoonish game, a very uh, sort of light vibe, very a, a lot of uh, comedy elements. But the in the actual game itself, that doesn't really bear out. This is a pretty serious, like, dirt farm. Not quite dirt farm, but pretty strong death of peasants type scenario, uh, scenarios game. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you... Look at it and you first think, like, even while you're going through character creation, you would be tempted to go, oh, this is like trying to do a furry D&D thing of, uh, yeah, you know, it's like fantasy medieval, but that just sort of means we want the excuse to have magic and melee weapons and, you know, peasants and kings and whatnot. But then you get into it and you're like, oh, no. They've gone ahead and had, like, here are all the noble houses, here is the intricate, like, interplay between all of the politics here, these are the different areas where, you know, different types of clans come from, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess you are taking this very seriously. And it does a thing that I don't see that often in fantasy dungeon delve era, I mean, there's no dungeons in this, because it's very much like, oh no, you're playing in medieval England. Uh, which is there are like 13 religions in it, and I get used to that, but it's practically a monotheism game, which means it's it's really 10 sects of the same religion and then like three wacky religions on the side. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like that's part of them trying to make this more like realistic medieval and that yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, you've got, you know, your main thing is Catholicism and then a whole bunch of Protestant versions of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then, like, druids. But uh, why don't we get into the basic meat and potatoes of how to play it? Uh, The first thing you're going to realize is that it does have six stats, but they're actually very interesting stats. uh, Because 
four of them kind of track to basic stats like you'd hear them in a game. By the way, these are not called stats in the game. They're called traits. Uh, body, speed, mind, and will all make perfect sense as regular old, what you'd consider to be the stat generation in a game. The other two, which are treated exactly the same as the first four, are species and career. Yeah, I like having that sort of rolled into your traits because it also gives you an idea just because you're going to put die sizes the way everything works in this is uh, from a D4 to a D12 and then multiple dice. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, oh, I've got a D4 in species, you're like, I'm not really like if I was a tiger man and I had a D4 in species, I'm not fucking running around ripping people apart and using my claws. I'm almost certainly just like, oh, I'm just some guy that happens to look kind of tigerish. Well, you're probably still a full-on anthro tiger. It's just that you you aren't invested in claws and your super smell and abilities and your stalking and that kind of thing. Uh, I I don't get the impress the, the impression I did not get was that it was kind of like, you know, uh, old Simbita's Ninjas Hurdles stuff where you have partial human looks or whatever. I don't think anything's even slightly human here. No, what I meant was you're just some guy that is a tiger rather than like, rawr, I'm a tiger and I'll leap on a dude and rip him apart. You're like, yeah. I am some medieval peasant. I, you know, shovel garbage. And also I'm a tiger. Yeah. It's the difference between Shere Khan and Shere Khan as he appeared on Tailspin. Pretty much. Yeah. It makes, it makes sense that way. Uh, when you start a character, you have those six traits and you have six stats to assign to them. And those are three D6s, uh, one D4, and 1d8. Is it 4d6s? 2D oh, 2d8s. Okay, well, I gotta change my bonus character then. I, I am unintentionally hindering him. Oh, yeah. So, you get to start out with... I mean, it's a nice thing to say. You do have to take one thing that's your weakness, but you do get two that are, like, above average. Uh, yeah. So, you don't feel quite like... Oh, I've got one good thing, one bad thing, and then a bunch of average. You're like, no, I, I at least can focus on some theme. So you could be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to focus on, like, my mind and will both because I want to be a, you know, smart wizard guy. Or career and will, really, if you wanted to do that, because career uh, is like the class in this game, but yeah. it all is going to hook back into your die that you put into it. So if I decide, like, all right, I'm, you know, a wizard, and I put a D4 in career, I'm like, I'm technically a wizard. I just don't do anything with it. It's like, I, my dad made me go to wizard school, but I didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, which is perfectly fine, because a lot of the careers in this game are shit like Messenger, where... Come on, that's not what you're going to spend all your time doing. So you, you can invest a D4 in it and just be like, yeah, but I put a D8 into, I don't know, Badger, so move the fuck out the way. Hmm, hmm. I'm going to go burrowing. <laughs> uh, the way the stats work in this game, because you just have a single die in each one of them, uh, the way all skill rolls in this game work is you are given a, you generate a pool of dice by the number, by your stat, maybe your career, Maybe your species sometimes, maybe you're, uh, maybe if you have marks and a skill, you roll all of those dice and you're checking to find one that beats a target number. So for the usual average difficulty, for example, is a three. So if you're like, well, I have a D8 in body and I'm going to try and climb this wall. 
and I don't have any relevant climbing skills, and my career doesn't lend itself to that, and my, neither does my species, I'm going to roll a D8, and if I beat a 3, I climb this wall. Yeah, and it I like get- that they made the sort of default difficulty 3, because it does mean a D4 can give you a chance to get a success on that. Yeah. Uh, but one of the big things is you want to have some ability in certain things that you actually want to roll, even if it's just a D4, because you are rolling multiple dice if you have them, but if you don't, mm-hmm. you'll just sort of roll your stat. But And you don't if you, want to roll your stat. Go ahead. I was going to say, you don't want to just roll one die, because this game has a botch rule of, if you roll all ones on your dice, you botch, and, you know, obviously much easier for that to happen with a single die than if you're rolling two. This definitely has uh, a 2000s variation on what a botch does in it, too, because it's like, oh, botches should be funny as hell. Dumb nonsense should happen to your character. And I'm always like, yeah, you sure? That's kind of the one time in this game where you try to be funny is when people royally fuck themselves over. If you say so. I mean, most of the time, their botch stuff isn't really like, er, you poop your pants. It's just like, oh, you know, you go reeling or you fall down or you get disarmed or whatever. The only time they really are like, this should be comical, is if both you and the person you are fighting botch at each other, and then you're like, oh, you guys just slap fight each other for a second. You do something comically stupid that will be spoken of for ages to come, is like the thing they actually write in the book. Uh, All right, then once you've got your six uh, trait numbers put down, you've got a bunch of other stuff to pick. It's... It, there, it's a pretty complicated character creation system, but not so much that it's actually difficult. Like, it's easy to get up and running in. Oh, yeah. Uh, the I first mean, thing you'll you'll want to... Go ahead. There's, there's several different bits to this, but most of them are fairly well self-contained within whatever you're picking. Like, you don't really have to go, like, flipping around to know... Like, oh, I've got this class, and now I need to figure out what this skill. Because it just tells you, like, oh, you get these three things, you get these three things. Don't worry about it, just write it down. Yeah. Uh, when you pick a, the uh, two primary things you're going to pick, but there are several more, are your career and your species. And we might as well start with species. Uh, it gives you a rundown of the basics of the animal type you're choosing, uh, including some details that would primarily just be useful for role-playing purposes, like the diet of of the thing you're playing as, which I guess carries over even if you're an anthro. Uh, if you're a furry tiger, for example, you're still an obligate carnivore. Yep. Uh, the cycle in which you are most active, whether it's, it's uh, dawn, d- dusk, or, or a nighttime, which... I was disappointed to see them not using all three of the words for that, because I was all excited to see a book actually use crepuscular correctly. Mm. Uh, the senses that you get to add to your observation rolls come from a species. So if you have observation skill marks, then you can make observation rolls. And if you have, if, if the sense you're using is keyed into one of the ones that your species is good at, then you can add your species die to that roll. So, for example, if you're a dog, then you'll have like listen and smell. And anytime you do a thing that would be keyed off listening, you would say, okay, I can roll my observation die, the relevant trait die, which I assume would be mind, uh, and... Well, the also, relevant trait die is species at that species. point. Species, thank you. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Yeah, you're right. 
I, I get to add, I get to roll species because it's something I'm trying to hear. And then we get into a giant list of species. Oh yeah. This has a ton of stuff. There are, I mean, they go into not just like, oh, you know, you're a horse so you can run fast and, you know, you don't tire as quickly. They also go into like, oh, what does society think of horses? What yeah. sort of houses do horses normally come from? Oh, they're normally from, you know, or noble houses, whereas a donkey would be a much more of a common laborer. Yeah, and I'm sorry, there were a few more things that you get. Uh, one of them is species gifts, because every species comes with three gifts. Gifts in this game are more or less feats. Like, that's the easiest way to look at them, but they tend to be a bit more broad than that because they cover almost every aspect of the game. Uh, for example, just the ability to cast magic is a gift. Like, so they're, uh, some of them are really big, some of them are much smaller, and a starting character, I think, will usually have, like, 13 of them. Well, yeah, the, uh, the nice thing is the species and the class are both balanced with your species gives you three... Uh, skills that you can add your uh, mm -hmm. dice to, and then three gifts you get for, like, these are my, uh, like, built-in feats. And then yeah, the same thing with the, the class. So you pick yeah. that, you get three skills and three gifts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, there are some of these species are kind of fun to talk about. Uh, for example, I love that they just list dogs as being generally incompetent. Hmm. It, it says they're va they value friendship. They're very loyal. Also, they kind of suck and they're often incompetent. Which you know, at first I got mad at, but then I was like, oh yeah, it's a furry game. Who's playing dogs? Everyone's gonna want to play foxes, which is why there's like three kinds of them: and wolves, and coyotes, and doles. Anything but a regular dog. Also, I mean, they don't say that they're incompetent. Often incompetent. It's right in there. It's I'm. I have it in quotes. They have peace due to their lack, their knack for loyalty, if not competence. Not that they are incompetent. They're just not competent. <laughs> it just doesn't have to do with competence. <laughs> Don't you uh, ever diss a dog around me. <laughs> I'm not going to diss dogs. I thought it was a problem that the book had. I'm like, hey, come on. Let's go ahead and uh. reward dogs for being good animals. Cat, the section is written, the description of cats is written by a cat, and it's not useful information. Yeah. Uh, you can definitely tell one, where someone was like, I'm a cat person, not a dog person. Cats are super cool and they'll do whatever they want. And they slink around. Dogs are dumb assholes. Yeah. That was not a very useful one. Lion, uh, I think was, a, had a bit of a problem to it with sexual dimorphism where they couldn't help themselves from basically being like all male lions are Prince John. They're pompous dipshits who only ever talk about themselves and write poems about themselves. Female lions are super badass, ultra-competent, family-oriented. But, you know, sure, that tactically bears out in nature. But uh, it, then it goes on to be like, e even female lions aren't attracted to male lions, which is a real problem for the lion species. And I'm like, <laughs> I, okay, it's jokes. I get it. You got some jokes. Yeah. Uh, tiger is a little too foreign exchange. They're, they're very much like, these guys are... Uh, out of all these species, all of them could come from anywhere. They've all kind of populated the area quite well. Rhinos are well integrated into the England area part of the world. But tigers are from India. Oh, yeah. Tigers are exotic from another land. Yeah. 
and obviously they're slavers as well. <laughs> I like that they uh, they basically put the Roma into being bats. Yes, as they're just like, There's what are the bats? Oh, they're they like to have you know fun and dance, and they travel around, but nobody trusts them because they all think they're vampires. <laughs> Yeah, I just realized I only took super detailed notes in like the first couple of species to get a sense of how the species list worked. And then I, literally in my notes, I have, are these just Roma written down? Because they don't say it, but you and I came to the same conclusion. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is very clear. Even the dress that they have them in in the picture. I'm like, yeah, no, I get I get this. I get what you're having them stand in for. They are the first species that includes a variant option. Uh, because the basic bat that you can play as is, I believe, a uh, microbat, a British, a British microbat. But they have variants for playing as a fruit bat and for playing as a vampire bat. Yeah, and I do like that in the game because obviously you're just never going to be able to put every single type of animal ever into your thing unless you want your book to be, you know, seven thousand pages long and completely impenetrable. So being uh -huh. able to be like, all right, you know what? Monkey is one of them. Do you want a slightly different type of monkey? Again, it's just three skills, three gifts. If it doesn't make sense for one of your, you know, guys to have throwing for some reason and you want to give them something else, go for it. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, uh, that said, they do have one where they're like, nah, it's two species. Don't worry about it, which is Gray Fox and Red Fox. Yeah. Like, I know they're... They're mo honestly, again, I kind of get it. It's a furry thing. A lot of furries like foxes, and I'm just, honestly, I'm more surprised that fennec foxes aren't in here. Hmm. Hmm. If we're, it, and uh, goat is another one I particularly enjoyed. Uh, goats are, it starts by saying they're characterized as stubborn, ornery misanthropes. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's a setup. We're going to find out they're actually gentle souls. And then it just goes, which indeed they are. And indeed so. They are stubborn, ornery misanthropes. Yeah, I mean, the reason you see the uh, the fox differentiation, though, is because it's an in-game thing of like, oh, gray foxes are the yeah. aristocracy. Yeah, yeah. Gray foxes are aristocrats. They have a problem with inbreeding. They, they're all Machiavellian. Uh, and red foxes are just sort of, fun honestly, loving. they're kind of, they're fun-loving, but they're also just kind of the best. Like when you read it, so everyone likes them. They're smart. They're good at every kind of thing. They're super trustworthy. They're all they're ultra friendly. In fact, they are treated by the populace as natural notary publics because no one would ever see one lying. Uh. Rhino was I, I, you know, as long as we're going into them. Rhino would be the other one I, I thought uh, was pretty good because it was like, oh, well, these are the largest of the species that they include in this book. There's no elephants, so yeah, just putting it out there, uh, which is a disappointment for if you're trying to recreate the the. Walt Disney Robin Hood movie. Hmm. But but rhinos are in here, and it says they're so huge and so calm that they tend to be treated by almost every other species as just sort of background material. Oh, yeah. They're just furniture. Like, if you're a mouse anthro going about your business, you're not like, oh, God, a rhino's going to step on me. You're mostly like, uh, yeah, I'm dealing with whatever's within eyesight, and that thing is just sort of too big for me to give a shit about. Yeah, which I appreciated. I practically leaned right into that and was like, oh, I might make a rhino for my bonus content just because I like that idea that you're basically furniture. Oh, yeah. I enjoy it. I I enjoy that even the rhinos themselves are like, yeah, I get it. I get no one really pays attention to me. And instead of it being like, oh, and I'm real angry about it, they're like, no, I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, skunk is a fun one just because it's like, oh, well, 
Obviously, we're going to have to address the, the the elephant in the room of the skunk, which is that they smell nasty. So they're like, skunks come in two varieties. Either they're completely patient saints that are completely used to it, and then you can go ahead and get out of your system and they'll be fine. Or they're ultra hypersensitive short man system about their smell, and we'll get in fights with you about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I it's, that was it's mostly cool. like everyone, it's the same like, oh, here's the thing. Everyone thinks you smell because you're a skunk. And you're like, well, I'm not spraying anyone. So, no, I don't stink. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Skunks, you can always tell when a skunk's around, even if they haven't sprayed recently. I don't know if that applies here or not. I mean, the I thing not. itself was like, oh, it's all the reputation that precedes them. Okay, that's good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I like the idea that they get all hypersensitive about it. That was, it was clever. Um, granted, real, real... Skunks, of course, simply have literally no give a fuck at all in their in their build and nature. They don't give a shit. They're they're an animal that has no natural predators and just goes around eating snails. And their entire life is defined by being like whatever. <laughs> nah, I'm just gonna root around in the <laughs> dirt and find something to eat. And if someone gets near me, they can fuck off. And then I, to wrap it up, because there's so many that we don't have time for. But to wrap it up, wolf which I was expecting to be a super important one because obviously anthro game wolves are usually kind of just like the, they're like the Mario of furries. Mm. Uh, I was expecting it to get a good description. It does not. It just gets like an old wolf story, which is like some tribal story about how a husband was starting to get gray hair and his wife kept plucking it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's interesting that within the like story of the setting, wolves are basically like, tribal celts yeah because they have a different one that's norsemen yeah i i don't remember which one it would be but they're you're right there are there's more people who were like from the north bears bears yeah there you go i i kind of associated bears automatically with like you know northern russia but yeah you're right they also work as sort of viking types yeah they're the vikings and then the celts are wolves yeah but the description doesn't really give you that. It just starts by saying, old wolf's tale. And then there's like this story about how a wolf is happy because he started to get gray hair because he's like, this will make me look distinguished. But his wife is like, ew, it keeps pluck- plucking his gray hair out his sleep until he's bald. End of story. Well, no, it's because he has a mistress and the mistress plucks out the gray hair because she's like, oh, I'm a younger woman and I want to be seen with a younger man. But the old woman is like, oh, he doesn't, I don't want him to have super dark hair because I want him to look distinguished and elder like me. So she plucks out the dark hairs and soon he is like a mangy bald man. He's a bald wolf, which teaches you so much about the wolf species and how to play as them. Yeah, don't, I guess, fuck around on your wife. (laughs) (laughs) And if you do, dye your hair. And then there's careers, and this game, I would say, the thing about this game is it looks like it's going to fail pretty heavily on career, because a lot of the careers are stuff like, oh, I'm a bod, or I'm a dilettante, or that that kind of thing, where you're like, oh, great, it gave you a bunch of medieval types of people as careers, instead of adventuring classes. But, because, as we've mentioned before, every career in this game is basically just three skills you get to include your career die on, and three gifts... Even ones like Messenger and Charlatan work exactly the same as Bodyguard and Bounty Hunter. Oh, yeah. And the the thing with all of these is that most of the ones here, even when you look at something like, oh, you're a dilettante or whatever, you're like, yeah, but you still get 
like gifts that you normally wouldn't be able to have. Like, you know, the dilettante gets the nobility gift and they also start uh-huh. with like a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even the, uh, the ones that seem like they're not going to be all that great turn out to be pretty much okay. Oh yeah. And again, they're... this game doesn't really have a don't going into dungeons type story to it. So playing as something like a rake isn't actually a waste of your time. It actually makes sense. You're going to spend a lot of time in cities. And honestly, they do give you most of the ones you'd actually want because they have another list of careers later in the book that adds in stuff. If you're like, oh, what if I just wanted to be a laborer? They're like, sure, here's the farmer. If you want the career that's like, I'm a dumb garbage idiot. Great. Here it is. You can use Mm -hmm. these. Mostly we suggest you use these for NPC construction, but, you know, if one of your players goes, oh, it doesn't make sense. I'm trying to do the farmer to, like, Jedi Knight tradition thing, then they're like, fine. If you want to (laughs) be, like, a servant or a farmer or, like, a watchman, that's fine. Who cares? Yeah, I would. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. There are ways to buy into more careers. In fact, it's super easy. Uh, there, a gift that you can purchase is just called extra career. And when you take it, you just get a second career with a D four, and that new career is your career die. Yeah. So it's it, you can you can easily shop around and buy new careers. So if you start as a farmer and you're like, I want to become a gladiator from here. No problem. It's not difficult, but you're not going to get the best gifts out of doing it that way. You're going to end up kind of hamstrung. Yeah. So but I, of those I did like careers, that they had them, at least. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, this isn't the kind of game where it's going to be a huge issue. I remember that actually being kind of a problem in 3rd edition D&D, where there were a couple of career classes, because all of a sudden you knew exactly how many hit points a peasant had, and you were like, oh, shoot, a cat can murder them. Easy. Oh, so easy. Yeah, that doesn't really work here. When we get into the combat, we'll explain why. Uh, Granted, in here, a cat can kill you pretty easily because it's just some guy with a sword. Yeah, this cat guy is going to fucking stab me. <laughs> so uh, what are some of these careers that are worthy of note? Uh, it starts with the almoner, and that should give you an idea of how medieval this game is. Uh, almoner is their word for white mage or cleric. Yep. And if you, get... you want to be a caster, you basically have to take one of the caster careers, although yeah. you can later go into it if you want to, but uh, all of the caster ones require, in order to get to their actual spell casting, like all three of the gifts that you start with. Yes. When you start as an almoner, you start with three gifts, and those gifts are... Uh, cleric's trappings, which are the equipment and gear that a cleric would wear as a feat, kind of. But the neat thing about the trapping feet, uh, gifts is that when you take them, you think, oh, gee, it just gives me starting equipment. That's an absolute waste of a feat slot, right? You, why would I take that? And it's because it's everything you need, and once per game, you can get all that shit back. You could just be like, and I get all my, my uh, cleric gear again. So it's perfect for if you happen to be losing your gear from time to time. It gives you an actual in-game power. And it also Uh, gives you the legitimacy of it. Like, it's not just, oh, I have a priest robe. It's, no, you're an actual cleric. Like, you can go into a church and be like, I I belong here. I am a for reals priest. Yeah, and you also get literacy, which is pretty much just the basic ability to read and write. 
And finally, you get uh, white magic, which is the gift that you take if you want to be an almoner or a, a white wizard who casts healing magics. Uh, it has two prerequisites. Wouldn't you know it? They're cleric strappings and literacy. So when you take one of the, the caster classes, you get exactly the bare minimum to be a caster out of it. Oh, yeah. Like, but you're right. You, they're the you, only ones that hard. start with literacy because most yeah. people aren't. It's just that or the nobles. Yeah, but a starting character has three feats from their, or three gifts from their career, three gifts from their species, and then they get to pick three gifts. So technically, if you wanted to, you could be like, well, I took knight as my career and got all the knight gifts. And then for my three random gifts I can take, I took literacy, clerics, trappings, and white magic. Yeah, and the amusing thing is, that's like, oh, uh, you know they have paladin as a class, which gives you those three gifts, but then also melee combat. You could have just done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you shouldn't do it the way I was just describing, but you can. Uh, but I mean, you start... if you wanted to have, say, you know, the veteran and nobility g gifts, then I guess being a knight errant to start doesn't hurt. No, no. I mean, well, the reason you wouldn't want to do it the way I was saying, where you'd be like, all right, I'm I'm a knight, but I took the th my, my three free gifts I spent on being a white mage, is that now you have a knight career die, which is not going to help you especially much when you're trying to cast white magic. No, not particularly. Yeah. So then we go through Baud, which you, I mean, it's just like a tout. It's the It's just a person who knows about cities. Bodyguard, bounty hunter, burglar, uh, charlatan, dilettante. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. There are a few that I thought were kind of... Uh, uh, there's two in a row, which are Sorcerer and Spellbinder. And the way they write up the descriptions for them is Sorcerer. These are sly wizards. They use the green and purple magic for mind-affecting and clouding the minds of mortals. And then right after that is Spellbinder. These are mysterious wizards who use the green and purple magic to control the minds of those they meet. And I was like, come on, you should have at least called one of those something different so they wouldn't be next to each other alphabetically. Because <laughs> until you go back and read them more in detail and read the gifts and so on, it looks like you have two of the same class here. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> essentially, the only thing that changes is one of the skills that you get. You swap yeah, out because they're required inquiry for negotiation. Yeah, because you're required to have the same gifts between the two of them so they can have that the green and purple magic. Yep. And then a few other wizards, you know, uh, with a Thaumaturge and Warlock. Yeah, and I mean, there's only a couple different types of magic. It's just, you can do elemental magic, you can do mind mm -hmm. magic, you mm -hmm. can do the sort of generic Pure. magic, like the yeah, Thaumaturgy. The, the, yeah, and then white magic is the fourth one. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's your basic options. Uh, magic in this game, we'll get to it when we, when we get to it, but it's actually kind of interesting because it is exceptionally limited. Uh, there, this game does not have giant-ass spell lists. No. All right. Now, uh, then we get to skills. There are, I think there's exactly 13 skills in this game. Yeah, there's not a whole ton, and mm -hmm. uh, it's that you get, I think, 13, 13 marks. marks, and yeah. each mark gives you a die in something, and then you go mm -hmm. up for every mark. So it'd be, you know, I get one, it's a D4, I get another one, and now I have a D6 in it. And yeah. uh, you can loop around eventually, but to start the game, uh, you can only put three marks into anything. So you can get up to a yeah. D8 in something. Uh, the only yeah. way to get higher than that is if one of your gifts actually gives you 
uh, extra marks in a skill. Yeah, there are several gifts that, that increase marks in a skill, which can get you as high as four to start. Uh, a four would be a D10. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one of the skills is pretty... They're, they're things like uh, dodge, deceit, brawl. They all make pretty solid sense. Uh, when you roll them, you can attempt a skill without any training in it. You'll just roll the relevant trait die. But, of course, that's going to give you a huge chance of, uh, of d- botching, so you don't want that to happen. Oh, yeah. And... When you put even a mark into a skill, you also get a favorite use in it. So you can mm-hmm. decide, you know, what am I, you know, particularly good at with this skill? So if you're like, oh, you know, I've got academics and I put a mark into it, I can now say, all right, my academic favorite is history. And that lets me go, all right, if I'm a favorite in it, then when I'm rolling for history, if I roll a one, I have a chance to re-roll that. Yeah. Yeah, you can re-roll any single die that came up one if you have a favored use that is relevant to the die roll that you're making. Yeah, so at that point, you're like, okay, good. So even if I do happen to roll, like, two dice and get both ones, I can re-roll one of them. So it's even less likely that I will botch on something that I'm favored as. So, and because it's any die that comes up one... Even if you just put a D4 in there, if you're like, yeah, it's a D4 from the marks, but my, you know, body stats a D8. If the D8 also comes up one, you can be like, well, fuck that. I'll reroll the D8. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's also uh, a couple other restrictions to the way skills work. Uh, Notably, it says that sometimes you'll just be called upon to roll two skills at once. They only gave one example. I don't have it written here, but it's basically like, oh, you might need to roll both Supernatural and History. Just roll them both and your DM will figure it out, or a GH will figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't see what's supposed to happen in situations where the GH assigns you a, a double roll like that. There's also what's called Skill Limits, uh, which is where they will make the mark you have in the skill the highest die you're allowed to roll in the skill. So, for example, if you're like, well, I need to roll Athletics, but I'm also going to add my body die. Uh, my body die is a D8. My athletics die is a D6. But because they're saying that this is a limited skill, I, I all I roll is two D6s and not a D6 and a D8. Hmm. And uh, that only applies to a couple of skills. Uh, so several of them will not have skill limits even listed or uh, available. Yeah. Several skills also only work in the culture you grew up in. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of the ones that are like, oh, I've got like local knowledge of whatever is sure you might be like okay well i grew up in this town or this city i have local knowledge of that but then we leave and we go somewhere else but this game also has you can sell back for half the cost any skill or gift or anything you get you can be like all right it costs you know 10 to get a gift but you can sell a gift for five at the end of a session So if it ends Mm -hmm. up being like, oh, I took local knowledge for like this town because I thought we were going to stay here. We left. You know what? Fuck it. I'll just sell it and get a different skill. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The thing I I, the one I noticed having uh, the culture tag rider on it, which is the you can only use this in like the place you grew up that felt odd or offbeat to me was seduction. Because obviously I'm going to beeline for seduction and read it. That's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, And uh, also, obviously, this is one of the reasons I love Anthro games, is that furries, more often than not, 
get it. And the seduction rule in this game is like, this is for seducing whatever. It doesn't matter who you're trying to get in the pants of. Roll seduction. Have fun. Mm-hmm. So it's like, thank you. Good game. Good. Um, but it still it won't work outside of your hometown, though. So hopefully you, you aren't trying to play one of those games where people find your exotic accent sexy. They don't. Oh. <laughs> Uh, after that, there's a giant, giant list of gifts. Uh, it goes on for forever. There are so many different groups of gifts and types of gifts uh, and mechanics for gifts. A lot of gifts have what are called uh, exhausting mechanics, uh, where you can use a gift, then you can't use it again until the specified event occurs. Whether that's you have to take an action to refresh the gift, so you can use it multiple times in battle, or it just refreshes at the end of battles, or at the end of the day, or after you get a night's sleep. There, oh, yeah. uh, the tons the of gifts have this. Are you either refresh using an action, refresh mm-hmm. after uh, having a rest, refresh whenever the uh, game master tells you to? Yeah, uh, maybe don't take that one. And the end of a chapter, so, you know, a full actual session. Mm-hmm. And then special where it's got some special thing that triggers it where you'll get a refresh. There's one that I'm still not even sure I understand, which is influence. Which is you refresh the thing when your influence returns. I... Oh, that's that's the GM tells you. Oh, okay. Makes sense then. Yeah, you'll be uh, like, oh, I used this and I used up my influence with you know, the court to get something done. And then the mm-hmm. the person in charge will say, all right, your influence has regenerated to the point where they are willing to do another favor for you. So, yeah, yeah. So most gifts have a, an ex- a kind of collection of different things that they do when you take them. Uh, some of them may be passive things that are always turned on, and others within the same gift might be X or exhausting mechanics. Uh, so, for example, if you take the acrobat gift, This gives you the passive ability to split your dash, which is a combination of two of your other uh, traits that determines how fast you can run in combat. You can split. Most people, when they use their dash mechanic, they have to go in a straight line for as far as the dash goes. But if you're an acrobat, you can split it into two smaller dashes uh, and use it in two different directions. So you can dash around a corner, for example. It also lets you uh, use an extra action on your turn to stand up. Most people would need to spend one of their existing actions to stand, but you could just kind of pop back up. Oh, yeah. should mention that uh, in the game for combat, you get two actions. Everyone has two actions. You can't take the same action more than once. So I definitely want to talk about the basic combat mechanics because they're kind of neat, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, that was the best part for me was, oh, you get everyone has two actions. You can't do the same thing. So there's no real weird action economy for being able to just, you know, go ham on someone. But it also means some of your weirder things that you might not normally do during a game where you're like, oh, instead of attacking, you could spend your turn aiming at someone. You're like, yeah, but then I wouldn't be attacking them. Now you're (laughs) like, oh, I can aim and attack as my two actions. So it's actually useful. Yeah, I was only about halfway through Acrobat, but that should give you an idea of exactly how comprehensive several of these gifts are, uh, including, I, I would say, the two biggest ones for sure are Parkour, which just gives you a ton of different abilities that all boil down to you can kind of run on walls, and Flight, which is like three pages of different gifts uh, or different actions that some of them are automatically on, some of them are refreshes. It's a huge mechanic. But why don't well, we get to, to, to combat? Yeah. 
so go ahead. Combat very interesting. Like I said, everyone has two actions. Uh, mm-hmm. Initiative is just handled where. Uh, depending on where you are starting initiative is what you are rolling to beat because it's the same roll your dice and beat a number mechanic from everything else. Mm -hmm. But the number you are trying to beat depends on where you are. So if you're like, oh, I'm starting within melee range, like a brawl in the tavern breaks out and someone right next to me starts fighting. Okay, cool. Uh, That's going to be like, I've got to beat like a three or a two or something to Mm -hmm. get it whereas if you start at say medium or long range you're like oh well now i've got to get like a four or a five in order to get a success yeah initiative in this game works very differently from how you normally expect when you hear the word it's not an individual it is an individual role you're making everyone's roles their their initiative individually but what it doesn't do is determine what order you go in combat indeed Uh, you just pick a side to go and one side goes then the other side goes so instead, you you have a, a range of successes related to how you make on that roll against your initiative. Your, you roll speed dice plus mind dice plus if you have the danger sense gift, you get a bonus d12 in there. So you roll that, and then you check it against the difficulty, usually three or four. If you botch it, you start the fight reeling, and boy, reeling is a thing we need to talk about. Uh, but you can, there's a bunch of other things. You can start the, with, if you get overwhelming, like every one of your dice beat the target number, then you're like, ah, sweet, I get... I can take a stride before we start. I get to I get to do a single ready action. I get focus. I am so ready to fight. Everything is all in my favor here. Oh yeah. Uh, so the... that. But then for actually initiative, like who goes first and in what order? You just pick a side. Default to the players if there's no reason not to. Yeah. I mean, unless it is like, oh, you got ambushed or whatever. Then yeah, sure that side goes. But most of the time, they're like, unless there is a reason for the other side to go, just. Just let the players go first. So when you, it's your turn, you actually start by making a choice. You're going to choose whether you want to do an action turn, which is everything we've talked about so far, which is you get two two things. You can use one of them to move and one of them to attack or one of them to aim and one of them to ready, that kind of stuff. Or you can take a focus turn. If you take a focus turn, you can move your stride, which is a, a sub stat that tells you how fast you can go. You gain focus, which is just sort of a a keyword rider that your character now has on them. And if you want to, you can make a single observation roll to look around the combat. Uh, You can't do any of that if you're mind-affected in some way. But but the other thing it does is if you have focus, when you take an action turn, you get three actions instead of two. Yes. And focus is also very good for... You can use that third action instead of on your turn. You can use it as an interrupt on someone else. So yeah, if someone's like, have... ooh, I'm going to hit that guy. You're like, well, I'm focused, so I was super ready for anything to come my way. I'm going to act real quick before you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, provided you have focus, you are allowed to counterattack. It costs you your focus to do so. Oh, no, you can always counterattack. It's just you get your full a- action before they do a thing. Oh, you're right. It's an interrupt as opposed to a response counterattack. Yes. Okay. Now, one important rule is even if you have focus and you have three actions in a turn, you can only attack once a turn. So if you have focus and you have three actions, you can be like, well, I'm going to re-ready my spell, I'm going to attack, and then I'm going to scoot back up. I'm going I'm to back up from the fight. But you can't be like, I'm going to move into position, and because of focus, now I'm going to attack twice. You can never attack twice on well, your no, turn. It's, it's the same rule. You can't do the same action twice no matter what. 
No, I know. Can't do any single action twice. I was just saying that it still applies even if you're in focus. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other stuff you can do. Uh, refresh is probably the more important one. If you have battle gifts that, that refresh during combat, then that's an action to do it. So you, you're going to want to be aware of that. So if you're like, well, my character's a combat spellcaster, so every turn I want to either be throwing fire or refreshing my fire gift to create fire to throw later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can rally, which is a really, really important one because it's the primary way to get people out of mentally affecting uh, conditions. Yep. Um, it, rallying is is not for you. It's for other people. When they are injured, immobilized, whatever it is, you can make a will plus leadership die roll to try to change the either fix or change their condition. I was a little irritated by this because it felt kind of like the kind of thing you're going to need to have open all the time because it's not that most things go away. It's all situational. It's like, oh, is someone suffering from the marionette condition? Well, if you successfully rally them, they give up marionette for the immobilized condition. Yes, and if someone's immobilized, you can rally them to the slowed condition. Yeah, so it's a little... I, I thought it was a little too... Compl- it's the kind of chart where you're going to need to have it open. Hopefully it's on the DM screen kind of thing. I mean, honestly, it's not like controlled and marionette are going to come up a whole bunch. Most no, of the I'm ones sure that don't. you're going to see a lot of, like afraid or reeling or confused, are just you remove it. Right. Reeling. Okay, let's get into reeling because it's probably my, almost definitely my least favorite thing in this. If anyone hits you, you're reeling now. Uh, when you're reeling, you can't attack uh, and you basically have to spend an action to not be reeling. Yeah, basically if you get hit, it's just, hey, you know the two actions you have on your turn? One of them is to not be reeling anymore. Yeah. You can also, I think you can spend the, your, your action, you can be reeling and run away, but you can't re- be reeling and attack. And because reeling isn't that expensive of a thing, it just costs you one of your actions for a turn, uh, it is often the cost for other things. For example, one of the, the actions you can take in combat is stunt, which is just like, well, I want to do crazy thing. I want to swing from the rafters, or I want to jump out of this barn loft. Uh, you can always just say I'm doing a stunt to pull off some crazy maneuver with the GH approval, but it leaves you reeling automatically. Yes. And reeling, you have to take the action on your turn as soon as it comes up. So you if you to, are you reeling, when reeling, when your turn comes up, you have to take the recover from reeling action. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it can be fairly restrictive. I wasn't a huge fan just because it's kind of every time you get hit by anything, you are now reeling. Uh, and, and a lot of other things cause you to be reeling as well. And I felt like it was just too common of a mechanic. Hmm. That's just, you know, just on me. That's you. I kind of liked reeling as yeah. All right. a way to be like, oh, you know, this game doesn't have hit points. And no. instead, reeling is just sort of the, if I hit you, because there's a, you know, a not very small chance that you might just take nothing, at least you'll always make them spend an action. That's true. I guess that's fair. Instead of having hit points, you, I mean, okay, actually this game has hit points. Uh, you have five. No, you don't, because it's not progressive. It's, you could keep doing that over, I thought that was progressive. No. It was semi-spiraling. Okay, yeah, all right then. Uh, It all depends on how much damage you took from the attack. So if I took no damage from an attack, I'm just reeling. If Mm -hmm. I took one point of damage, I am hurt. On a future damage roll, 
if I'm hurt, it's plus one damage. But if I yeah. soak it and go to one point of damage, I'm still just hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two damage adds both hurt and afraid to your character. If you're afraid, you can't attack. And that actually requires a rally for the cure. So someone else is going to have to come around and rally you if you want to even stay in the fight. Uh, at three damage, hurt turns into injured which increases the amount of damage you take from uh, in addition to normal from one to two, and also is harder to heal after the fight. Four takes you to dying. After the fight, you'll need medical attention or you'll die. Five is dead. And six is overkilled. If someone manages to do six damage to someone else in a fight, not only are they dead, but all of the allies of the person who just died gain afraid and can't attack anymore because of how brutal the kill was. Yeah. And so, uh, you're most likely not going to get to that unless someone is already in the injured step, because most attacks don't do a ton of damage. Like, no, most damage of the time, mechanic. you might be doing, like, two to three before they roll soak. Yeah, because the way damage works is each point of success above the defense or the difficulty of the target you're trying to hit is one more damage. So the, def the uh, defense or difficulty of the target is... Uh, usually they'll set a static value by rolling their, uh, their like dodge plus if they have a defense, they'll roll the defense die and their body die. And then you're going to roll a body die and like a melee die to hit them with a weapon. Uh, and then you're going to compare those two values. So for example, it, it, and it, it gets a little more complicated than that, but let's say that someone rolls their defense dice and comes up with a four. So now you've got a target difficulty of four you need to hit. You roll melee plus body, you get a four and a five. Those are both hits. Uh, so both of them count. You end up doing two damage plus anything that your weapon says you're adding to it. Then it moves to a soak step where everyone's I, got soak equal to their body. I, I'm sorry. Am I missing something? Uh, it's actually two successes for one point. So you'd have to get, uh, every two successes gives you one point of extra damage instead of per success. Just saying yeah. they, they have okay. slaying damage, which is plus two per success. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, soak, the way it works is you have soak equal to your body dice, and if you have any armor on, then you have armor dice for soak as well. Uh, you roll those dice as if they were skill or trait dice against four, and every die on that that beats four soaks a point of damage. Certain weapons are weak, usually blunt weapons. They get If you get hit with a weak weapon, you get to roll your soak twice and count both rolls of soak. Yes. So there's and... a whole bunch of soak. Oh, oh, also, if you botch a soak roll ever you get an extra little fuck you in the form of one more damage than the attack did in the first place. Yes. You, you <laughs> fell into the damage. Yes. You, you got hurt worse by your attempt to not get hurt. Yeah. Now, uh, a lot of the defense rolls plus the, uh, the soak rolls means you're not usually going to be doing a ton of damage because your standard damage is going to be like, Oh, I, I have a sword. It does my rolled successes of damage plus one. And mm -hmm. given that you're probably not going to get more than two successes, you're like, all right, I do two damage. You yeah. roll your soak. Maybe I do nothing. Maybe I do one. So you really have to get into that hurt spiral where you're like, okay, now because you're hurt, I can do a plus one damage. So next time when I roll, maybe I'll do two damage instead of one damage and I'll move you up to hurt and afraid. Yeah. So one of the things I really liked about the combat system, and this is going to get a little bit into gear, is that almost every spell in this game is just a piece of gear that you generate on your turn by taking that that refresh action. 
oh yeah all the spells in this do a thing and Mm -hmm. then they have like a oh you can ready a weapon that is this spell yeah they all have a combat application so for example if you're playing as an uh, an elementalist you might like create fire and uh, when you create fire you you spend a turn readying it and fire either appears in your hand or it automatically gets imbued in either a wand or a rod uh, if, if you imbue it in one of those weapons, it's it takes up a free hand you might have otherwise had, but it grants you some extra effects. Uh, I think wands negated range penalties and rods. You can counterattack with rods. Yes. Uh, uh, didn't mention, but counterattacking is one of the defensive options you can take. So if someone attacks you, normally, uh, if you just wanted to avoid getting hit, you could go for a dodge or a parry or mm-hmm. a... You know, just <laughs> running the fuck away. Uh, but if you want, you can do a counterattack where you try to see if you can beat their roll to hit you with your own. And mm-hmm. if you do, then you get to hit them. They go reeling and you're like, ha ha. But if you tie, you both get hit. And if you fail, you get hit and you didn't get to, you know, take away Defend. any of their successes. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, when you, once you generate a spell, the next action you can use it like any other weapon. Uh, it, it it every spell has a different role. While most of the weapons are like, oh, this is melee plus body. Like every sword, dagger, quarterstaff, and so on is melee plus body. But spells are weird. Sometimes they're supernatural plus mind. Sometimes they're weather sense plus will. You you don't know uh, until you pick the spell and know what it's going to be, and then you have to build your character around being good at your spells. Oh yeah. I mean, if you go. Like, oh, I, I'm an elementalist, and there's a base list of, like, either summon or move an element is the elementalist. And then later on, you can, like, really dig down into saying, like, oh, I'm a fire mage. So you yes. might go, like, ooh, uh, for fire, you really want presence, because all the fire magic is based on will and presence. So at that point, yeah. you're like, okay, well, that also means generally fire mages are very scary just to begin with. Yeah, because they're very imposing. Uh, if you're an air one, though, you're going to want weather sense, which I assume makes you very, I don't know, mysterious or kind of like a hedge wizard wise. I mean, it just means you know what the weather is going to be. You're, you're always knowing about the weather. That certainly keeps you up to speed with that fire wizard. It's a high presence score, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, if you're a yeah, water mage, it's all swimming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I really like that thing about spells, that every spell in this game is a fairly simple to understand weapon mechanic as opposed to being its own discrete whole rule system over and takes up the back half of the book. Instead, the back two thirds of this book is taken up with an incredible amount of lore story that we just don't have time for. Oh yeah. There's a ton of stuff. If you want to know about like the noble house of the Avoir du Poix, then Mm -hmm. great. You can read about that. I don't really care. It also has an entire, uh, like bestiary in there of dudes you can fight it has Perfect. all the advanced magic rules and the different classes you could be. And then a little like 10 page story at the back to do an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's honestly, it's a pretty well self-contained book. Uh, I, I do not have any strong reservations about this one. I thought this was pretty well designed overall. Ha- I was happy to be surprised by a, a furry book yet again. Oh yeah. So honestly, wanna- this was yeah. way better than I thought it would be. No, it's perfectly functional. Uh, do you want to get into the best and worst? Sure. Why don't we get right into it, John? What would you say is your favorite thing about this game? There's actually a lot to like in this game, but I think yep. my initial 
favorite thing about this was just the simplicity of the three skill, three gift for your, uh, your class and your species. Yes. Yeah. I can can get you with you on that. And it, it means because there's just three skill, three gift, if there's something not in the game that you want, you know, if there's a career that's not represented, if there's a species you want to be that isn't in there, you can very easily go to whoever's running the game and say, hey, I really want to play as this. These are the three skills and three gifts that would make sense for whatever that thing is. And they can go, okay, sure, great. And you can play it and you don't have to worry about balance issues, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's hard to screw it up. By the way, but... If ever you're, when you're doing your three gifts from both your species and your class, if you get the same gift uh, from both of them, then you Mm -hmm. just turn that into the get better at one of your traits gift. So you just get a bonus to one of your stats. And that's also nice. Yeah, that was also a nice little bit. The game has a lot of fluidity to it. I was going to say one of my favorite things about the game is in that same vein, I like for 2010... I, I both liked and was surprised to see that you can, like, choose your favored use for a skill in the moment. Like, you don't have to do it in advance and then get screwed over later. You can save that kind of stuff for, like, well, what do you know? This is my preferred use of this skill, right when you, when I most desperately need it. Oh, what do you know? Uh, I rolled two ones on this. Turns out... <laughs> Did I forget to mention that this is a super important gift for me? Oh, yeah. I, I do like the whole... Oh, you get a favorite in every skill that you put marks in, but you don't need to tell me what it is. It's it's nice. Yeah, I like that. I like that you can sell your gifts and skills back later easily for half half cost. The game is very fluid and very permissive, and I appreciate that in a game from around this era. Yes. Uh, okay, then uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and say that that actually is my favorite thing. It's kind of the fluidity, the permissiveness, uh, the constant offers of, hey, Choose something now, but don't worry about it. You're going to be able to change this later or add more stuff to this later. This is not a finished character or character creation. You're going to have lots of growth opportunities. I like that kind of way of presenting the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say is your least favorite thing? Uh, I mean, probably I would say, if anything, magic is underpowered in this game in mm-hmm. that not only is it going to take three full gifts in order to even be able to start doing whatever magic you want to do. But it also, a lot of the spells that aren't just straight up like, I attack a guy, the defender has a lot of dice that they get to roll. Like, it'll be like three different stats that they get to roll for defense, so they just have a very baseline hard time trying to like, if you want to inflict Confuse on someone, it's an attack roll, and it's, like, four different dice that the defender gets to roll to try and beat your two. So it it ends up being a little difficult to try and do from mm-hmm. the get-go. Like, being a starting caster feels a little punitive. Uh, yeah, I, I can be there with you on that. That makes sense. What about you? What's your least favorite? Uh, I'm going to say very occasionally, and it's just a matter of taste, but I'm just going to tell you what my actual least favorite thing is. This game will slide too far over into ye olden times medieval-y shit for my taste. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, it, and again, that's just a taste thing. If you really like a, a lot of descriptions of old timey weapons and so on, then you're going to like this where I will not. But when it's like, ah, of course you can layer your armor. For example, you can combine chaussures with a gambeson. And I'm like, in a game that was this fluid and this well written, you could have just put light, medium, heavy and called it a day. Did you want to play Pendragon, but you really wanted to be a fox? Well, congratulations. <laughs> and that happens in a couple of places, because the weapon list as well has that same problem where it's like, oh, no, there's not three swords. There's 65 swords, because we've listed all their Spanish and German names, too. And that's, again, like I'm going to reiterate, it's a matter of personal taste. But anytime I see some old timey, like if I'm seeing a book have Wimple in it, it, it always loses a mark for me. And I got to tell you, if that's the thing that's my least favorite, you can pretty much say, this is a surprisingly good game. Yeah. If the only thing I can come up with is taste-based nitpicks, then yeah, I thought this was great. Would yeah, you no, play this? I would definitely play this. In fact, after reading through it, I was like, this seems like it would be a fun game. And because it's so easy to just go, all right, pick a species, pick a career, fucking... Now you just have to pick three more gifts and you're off to the races. Like, this would be a fun game as a easy-to-pick-up game somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely... Like a good con game, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I can more or less agree with you there. I would also play this because, again, I feel like I know how already. It's not a game where, even though I have read it, I have no idea how to play it. And Lord knows that happens to us a fucking lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where we've made it all the way through the game and where both of us are still kind of like, what? Huh? Are you sure you... Wait, when do you... No? Not oh, here. Yeah, there, here I get it. There are definitely times where we'll end a review and I'll be like, and I think maybe dice work like this. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, I, I would also play this game. I, th I found this charming uh, and would totally play it. The system doesn't seem to have any problems I can detect. Uh, I, I Maybe I don't... I, personally, I don't really like the reeling mechanic that much, but I understand why it's there. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. And uh, as always, now it's just time to talk about our Patreon, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Hell yeah, we kept mentioning bonus characters that we could make with this and mm -hmm. all the various interesting things you could do. If you actually want to know those bonus characters that we've been messing around with, you can mm -hmm. head over to patreon.com slash systemmastery, and at the bottom basement level of a dollar, you a get single dollar. the bonus content for this show. Mm-hmm. What we'll do is we'll go and make characters in the game that we just reviewed to get a little more in-depth, also have some fun with kind of the meat and potatoes and story of the game, uh, describe those characters to each other and to you, and it's all a good time. And we've done it a million times, so even if you only pledge at that $1 level, you're not just getting this, you're getting like well over 100 other episodes. Yeah, we got a lot of weird-ass characters we've made. Boy, oh boy, do we ever. And so many other different types of games. It's completely worth the price of admission. But speaking of price, there are several other levels you can, uh, you can support us at. At the $2 level, you unlock a whole bunch of Star Wars bonus content. And at the $5 level, you get both our Afterthought podcast and our newest show, TV Mastery, where, boy, oh boy, are we ever going through the littlest hobo. And it is so much fun. It is the most fun possible. It's, the, it's a great show, because the littlest hobo is a great show. So there you go. Uh, that's just about everything about the Patreon. Please go and support us. It would be really nice. We've been sitting just below that last $3,000 goal for, oh, ooh, about a year. Oof, Please ouch, help, us hit, help us hit that goal. That's the last one. 
Then we'll make a new one. Yeah, I, I wonder why we've been stagnant for a year. I wonder what during the last year might have happened. It's been more than a year. I said a year. I really should have said two years. <laughs> the time has come. To say fair's fair. Mm-hmm. And also for us to get out of here. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Go check this game out. It's on DriveThruRPG. As always, if you buy something on DriveThruRPG, use the affiliate link on our website, SystemMasteryPodcast.com, so we get a dollar. We use those dollars to buy more games to make the show. Isn't that cool? Thanks, it's everybody. It's all cyclical. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.